I've entitled the message today, La Dor Vador, Generation to Generation. I had surgery, as I said, one year ago, the 6th of November. It was by God's grace, by God's mercy, by God's love, God's power, God's promises, and God's provision. It is a miracle, and I don't say that lightly, that I am alive today. That's what the doctor said. That's what the surgeon said to Rebecca that day on that Wednesday as I was come out, I come out of surgery and he was done. He went into the waiting room, wherever they were with my three children, Katie, Alex, and Daniel. And he said, it's a miracle your husband's alive. And he said, I say that, yes, but it's really a miracle that he is alive. Some of you heard my story. Some of you have asked and I've shared that with you, but I'm going to share it again anyway. You know, your heart is about as big as your Fist, I believe, am I right? Yeah, yeah. And you have that artery that goes down the front of your heart and to the left side and to the right side. And in there, there's the fork in the road, right? There's a fork in that. In that fork, it wasn't 60% blocked. It wasn't 70, 80, or 90. It was 99.99% blocked. There was just a trickle of blood going through. And I thank God, perhaps there's some other veins that took care of that, the blood for me. And the doctor said that if I had not had the surgery, I would have been dead or I would have been a vegetable. I might not be talking to you today because they call that the widow maker. And uh, Rebecca and I were walking the Sunday before um, all this happened to me. And I was walking and we were on a diet and we were trying to get exercise. And my dog Laddie was with us and we're going out and we try to encourage one another. And we always say, don't be a big baby and all that stuff. So I was going with her and I was having a hard time breathing. And I could feel a little pressure in my chest. I didn't have the typical signs of all the heart attack stuff, okay? And uh, so I'm walking. I said, honey, slow down. You're going too fast. And she turned on me. She says, you big baby, come on. What are you doing? Come on. We need to get this exercise. That's what we're going to be doing. So she walks on with Laddie to try to encourage me. And I'm coming along a little bit slow. And I'm walking. And I'm going. And I'm going along. And I'm going along. And I, I, I just, she had to wait for me. We get halfway around and I couldn't continue. And I always carry something with me wherever I go. You can't see it, right? But it's my nitro, right? Guess what? That day, I did not have my nitro with me for whatever reason. But I get halfway around my neighborhood, and I had to stop. And just like this, Rebecca said, if you're that bad, you need to call Bruce Fleischman on Monday and make a point with him and find out what's wrong with, wrong with you. So I hobbled along back to my house. This was on a Sunday. Did my thing. I went to work in the morning on Monday. And on Monday, I called Fleischman's office, Dr. Fleischman's office, and I had an appointment on that Friday for a uh, treadmill, you know. And I get in there, and I'm all fat, dumb, and happy, as they say, and everything's okay, and I'm going to be okay because I've done this before, and there's not going to be any problem. It's just anxiety, whatever it might be. And I get on that. They took blood just in case something might happen, and they had to put some dye in me and all those things that they do, the medical people do. And so I get in there, and I'm on the treadmill, and I'm going. And usually I can do nine or ten minutes pretty good, right? I get in there four and a half minutes. I get the chest pain. Boom, they shut it off. She gives me a nitro, and she said, you, I think you need to have uh, an angioplasty. Well, I've done that before. They've looked in my vein, looked in my heart. You know, okay, I'll do that. So I'll go out. They wouldn't let me leave the office until I made an appointment. I made the appointment. I had either Tuesday or Thursday. I made the appointment for Tuesday. So I went to work on Monday, did my thing, you know, all that stuff, and did everything I needed, just normally what I would do. And I get in there on on, on uh, 
Tuesday morning, and if you know Dr. Fleischman, he's laid back, an older gentleman, you know, he's kind of, I don't say he's hippie-ish, but kind of hippie-ish, you know, he's just laid back and very, very kind and, and considerate. And his eyes got real big, <laughs> and I'm under the whatever it is they give you. And he said, Russ, you need to have emergency heart, open heart surgery. I said, what? And he turned around and barked some orders, I think, to the people and his staff. And, and next thing I know, uh, I am in CCU, and I had a wait a day because the surgeon wasn't available that day, so I had a wait a day. They had the catheter up in there with helium and all this stuff, and I had to keep my legs straight. God brought me through. As a matter of fact, Rebecca said... <laughs> When Dr. Fleischman came out to tell her that he, I had to have surgery, she brought the Sunday paper because she hadn't read it yet. So she brought the Sunday paper thinking it's going to be a couple of hours. She'd been through this before with me, and he's grabbing the paper and saying, come on, you got to come with me. It's good news and bad news. I had the chest pain. I went for the stress test. I had the heart catheterization. I had the triple bypass. You know, I was in the first Gulf War, as some of you know, and before I went over, I had to ask myself the question, was I a good husband? Was I a, a good father to my three lovely children? Was I a good congregational leader to those who were under my care? Was I a good example to those around me who, who knew my faith in Yeshua? So I had my surgery, and I'm in, and I had great care. I was at Grant Hospital. I was, had great care. Keith, the CCA, the cardiac care nurse, took real good care of me. Then I was on the sixth floor, and Whitney was my, my uh, nurse, and she took good care of me, and my doctors, of course, and the, the, uh, the others who were there helping helped me. I went home, and I convalesced, convalesced. I went back to work in eight weeks. Eight weeks. Normally it's 12, 14, 16 weeks. But I believe God touched me. I believe God was there with me. Yes, he gave the doctor the healing power in that sense to take my heart and make it right and give me three different places so it would fool the heart of where the blockage was. God healed me. God met me right where I needed him to meet me. Sometime after going to work, I was driving to work, praying, and I pray when I go to work because people in Columbus, they don't know how to drive, especially in 670, I'm telling you. I'm from Boston, right? And we drive terrible up there, but wow, here. So rather than yelling and saying, you idiot, you jerk, da 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 which I've done. I'm sure you all have done that too. I pray, and it hit me like a brick. It struck me that God had spared me from physical death. And literally, I said, God, thank you for keeping me alive physically. It would have been okay if you had taken me, if you took me. It would have been a wonderful to be in your presence and I could see you face to face and I could see who you are face to face and touch you and know you and all that fullness that would be in your presence. And I, what a thought. But I was awestruck that he spared me. I thought, maybe he must have more for me to do. I started thinking about what I had accomplished in my life as in 1990 when I asked the questions, was I a good father, a good husband? a good leader, an example of my faith in Yeshua to those around me in my sphere of influence? Did I give my all for Him? Did I do what I was called to do? Was I obedient to Him in everything that I do, no matter what it is? Did I waste time on frivolous, irrelevant, perhaps even inappropriate things, things that do not matter? You know, it is really pointed. It is purposeful that I have been teaching Hebrew school. Not that I'm the Hebrew scholar, because I'm far from it. I wanted to be a positive influence as a male role model 
to those children. I wanted those children to see a godly male example. Yes, there are godly female examples as well. Please understand that I'm not perfect. Just ask my wife. Just ask my kids. They'll tell you. But I wanted those children to know the importance of the right relationship. (laughs) Well, I was on a roll, honey. (laughs) I know I'm not perfect, but God don't make no junk, right? (laughs) He redeemed me. So the good you see is him and not me. Please understand that I'm not perfect, yes. And I wanted those children to know the importance of the right relationship with Yeshua. I've been told by one of our elders, we won't mention, we will tell you his initials of Jeff Rubenstein, but he says, you're wise, Russ, you're wise. I said, no, Jeff, I've just been around a lot longer than you and made more mistakes than you. But I thank him for that compliment. I wanted those children to see it is okay to love God with all your heart, with all your strength, and with all your mind and your might. I wanted those children to see a model of how we live this life as a believer in Yeshua. Did you know? Of course you did know. That every class I taught, I prayed with them before we started the class, and then after we were done with the class, that was purposeful as well. I was modeling that everything we do, we need to depend upon God and what He will do for us. I was showing them whether they realize it or not that we need to depend upon God for everything we do, so we go to God in prayer. Before we begin our day, we need to pray. And I know I'm preaching to the choir in a sense. We need to show our dependence upon God for everything. Did it rub off on these children? I don't know. Time will tell. Hopefully, God in His great mercy and His love will instill in them the things that they need for life and godliness. And perhaps the parents are teaching that, and I'm helping them to reinforce that in their lives. Someone has said this more is caught than taught. I don't know, perhaps. But it's all about Him, not us. It's all about Him and not us. He gives us our daily bread. He gives us our very life. And the Scripture tells us that without Him we will accomplish nothing but ashes. It is interesting that I prayed mostly in in the Hebrew class when I taught the class. But there were some times when they, the Hebrew school students, would ask for prayer for someone in their family that was ill or someone who needed help or whatever. But sometimes they prayed. Sometimes they asked to pray. How thrilled I was to hear that. They knew that this is what we do before we study the Hebrew alphabet. By the way, we need to continually pray for our Yeladim, our children, from the very youngest who was just born to the teenager and those in between, those who are here at Beth Messiah. Would you make it a matter for you to pray every day for them? Pick one or two. You don't have to even know what to pray. Just pray for them that they would grow up in the faith, in this faith in Yeshua, strong and solid. Pray that God would protect them, not with a hedge of thorns, but with a thick wall of His protection around them. That He would be in front of them and He would be behind them. He would be to their right. He would be to their left. He would be in the top, the bottom, all around. That He might protect them from the enemy and the world that is going, going, going and Almost gone. Lador of Ador, generation to generation. I'm hoping that we all are giving and investing in the lives of people. We who have been walking with the Messiah, our Messiah a long time, need to invest our time and energy into these who will take care, take the reins of leadership sooner than we think. So what do we teach these? Let's look. 
how we teach them. But before we do that, I just returned from a trip to Columbia, South Carolina. It was homecoming for my alma mater, Columbia International University. I graduated in 1984, not so long ago for some of us. Matter of fact, some of the students there weren't even born when I graduated. <laughs> how old does that make you feel? And there's a gentleman that was at Columbia International University, and he moved out of there, and he's in, what's the name of the, Jim Roche, what's the name of the, um, he's with a ministry anyway to help uh, crossover ministries. And uh, Jim Roche, I went looking for him, Russ Baudet, Jim Roche kind of rhymes like with Goulet and Chabot. <laughs> but anyway, I went to see him. Jim discipled me back in 1972 when I was in the Navy. I hadn't seen Jim in 20 years, maybe 30 years. I'm not sure how long it's been. And I go in, he's in the office, and I go in, and wow, I got a big hug and talk to him. He discipled me. Now, back in the day, I was not as nice as I am today. <laughs> he graduated from Baldwin Wallace College with a degree in music, and he could play the drums. This guy was excellent. As a matter of fact, he was offered a position, almost got a position in the Cleveland Orchestra. That's how good he was. But there were some wars going on, and he ended up in the Navy as a musician, and um, he was with the Navigator Ministry, and he got stuck with Russ Baudet, discipling Russ Baudet. And one day, after we were studying a while, he said, Russ, you need to be discipling someone. You need to do what I'm doing so that we, you can teach others also, and teach others also, and teach others also, and it can go on and on for generation to generation. He said, you need to disciple this young man called Bill Teton. I said, why? Well, I don't have to do that. I don't, have to do that. I, I, I don't like this guy. This guy's goofy. He, he, he's goofy, and he, he just, I just don't want to be around him. He said, well, he's in your barracks, and it's easy for you, and you, you're going to disciple him. I don't want it. He said, just try it. You might like it. You might even be successful. So I met Bill, and we talked, and Bill knew I had a bad attitude. And, but Bill, in his great smile, you know, he, he just put up with Russ Baudet. And I discipled him. We went through the, the, the books, you know, Nav 1, 2, 3, and all that, and learned who Yeshua is, learned who the Holy Spirit is, learned who the Trinity is, and all that, and, you know, learned how to witness, learned verses. And I might get emotional here. Bill and I became tight, real good friends. As a matter of fact, Bill was my best man at my wedding. As a matter of fact, Bill and Nancy Teton are with the Navigators, and they are, I want to get it right here because I have written it down, he serves as the upper Midwest regional leader for the collegiate mission of the Navigators. His area includes Wisconsin, Minnesota, North Dakota, and South Dakota. Jim Roche, Generation, Russ Baudet, Degeneration, to Bill Teton, Degeneration, and Bill Teton to those young people in the college. But even before that, do you know where Bill was? The Air Force Academy. He had the ministry of the Air Force Academy. As a matter of fact, you remember the little problems they had at the Air Force Academy? It's because he was sharing Yeshua. Some of the people didn't like it. He was at the University of Colorado. And he even goes back further, the one who discipled Jim Roche, Chuck Lloyd. So do you see it? And it probably goes back to the disciples, the apostles. Generation to generation to generation. Bill and his wife, Nancy, shepherd the staff and bring vision and health to the staff who serve the college campuses in these states that I mentioned, Lador, Lador. So exactly what are we to teach our children? Exactly what are we to model? Well, Acts 2.42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. I'm sure we've all heard sermons about this. Amen? Right? We have. I'm sure. But I want to reacquaint us with this. 
As we read the book of Acts, we find that, ad, that the adding of the Messianic Jewish community was significant enough that those who were already believers in Yeshua established a pattern of life, of practice and structure in that early community. Luke tells us that there were four elemental or central foundations for community practice. You guessed it, right? Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. It is simple. We teach. It is simple. We are to fellowship. It is simple. We are to break bread together. It is simple. We are to pray. The, the verb in this, in the, in the Greek, continued steadfastly is present tense for emphasis. It, 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 we start and we continue until we are called by Yeshua to go home with him or we are unable to do so. We who have been following Yeshua for days, months, years, are to be fat, are to be fat, faithful, available, and teachable. We are to teach. I believe the emphasis in these verses is Luke is showing us a continuity between the mission that Yeshua gave to the apostles. He is the Messiah foretold in the Hebrew Scriptures and his Messianic community, those who believe in him as Messiah, whether Jew or Gentile. They were diligent and they were constant in their attention to the preaching of the word that they heard from the apostles, those who came after the apostles. Certainly, James and John and Peter and the rest and Paul, when they got together, they taught corporately. Only naturally would they meet to learn. We would say today they are what? Lifelong learners. They learned. That was in the Jewish community. That was in the Jewish culture. That was part of being. What did it look like in the first century Messianic community in the pattern of getting together and pattern of worship? I like what Keener says. Craig S. Keener states the following in his commentary on the book of Acts regarding the pattern of worship. First, they all gathered together in one place. We're together in one place. They gathered together in the temple, but sometimes in the local synagogue. The writings of the apostles and prophets were read. The Tanakh, if the apostles, you know, as you, as they went on in, in, in the community, it, when we had the writings. But at the beginning, they got together, they read the Torah. They read the whole counsel of God, all the word of God. The person presiding instructs and exhorts everyone to imitate the things that are said in the Torah. They all rise to pray. Messiah's table is served. The president of the synagogue offers prayers and thanksgiving. The people are sent with amen. Messiah's table is distributed and all partake together because Yeshua said that to do that as a memorial and the Shamashim sent it to those who were absent that day. Those who have money, those who are willing to give sadaka, give what they think is fit. And they leave the sadaka with the president of the synagogue or president there, whoever was in charge, who then helps the orphans and widows and anyone else in need, the sick, the prisoners, the travelers, whatever it might mean. Does that sound familiar to you? Does that sound like a pattern that we do somewhat every Shabbat? We gather together, we, we gather in one place, we hear the word of God in English, we hear it chanted in Hebrew. The person presiding instructs and exhorts, yes, that's the rabbi. We all rise to pray. Sometimes we have Messiah's table and we give. Acts 4, 8 through 12 and 5, 29 through 32. We're not going to turn there, but the teaching that, that, that um, Peter's given there is, I think, more instruction. 
I think it would be formal and informal. Formal when you get up and you actually give a, you have a class like MSI or you have a, you know, before we have a Chavara groups or whatever it might be. And then informal where you sit down and you eat with someone or you sit down and you just talk about the scriptures and questions and answers like we did in the men's retreat. We had a great time. I'm sure that some of the teaching mentioned was geared toward instruction in certain things. Questions might come up. Some of the new believers, Jewish and God-fearer, had the knowledge of the Tanakh. They knew that. They knew the writings that they would understand the basics, yes. However, they would need instruction how the Scripture applied to the to them and which ones applied to Messiah and how does that apply and how come it's this way and not that way? So they would have a clear understanding. How does Messiah fit into this now that we've believed Him? But not only for the Jew and for the God-fearer, but also for the Gentiles and those who were pagans, those who had no religious background. They had to go back to the beginning with no knowledge of the Tanakh, the writings, the Hebrew Scriptures. They would have to be instructed in the Scripture step by step, precept by precept, to give a clear understanding of what God expected of them and His mission to the world and their responsibility. Ador of Ador, generation to generation. The new believers were taught by Jewish believers in a Jewish context, learning the message of God, and God, gave, God gives in Scripture. Studying Torah was an inescapable practice if you read the history of the Palestinian Jewish life, and it was observed wherever possible. Again, of course, it was formal and informal. So they taught the Word of God what they had. They also they had fellowship, and I know you know the word. What is it? Koinonia. Koinonia. Someone has said that koinonia is, quote, partnership and can refer, refer to the sort of harmony created by shared purpose and working together. Partnership included sharing profit, in other words, giving of alms and giving of money toward those who needed that. And early believers sometimes used the word, the term koinonia to refer to sharing with others. Originally it refers to common sharing or participation in, in a common cause. Some commentators say that fellowship is the sacrificial shared uh, sharing described in Acts 2.44 and expands further to the meaning of the term here, although it may represent only concrete manifestation of their, quote, fellowship, the community's fellowship together was accomplished by sharing possessions. And as you read further in Acts in chapter 2 down to 47, they were seeing favor in God. They were sharing things in common. They had koinonia. They were together. They loved one another. They were together on a daily basis. They had to learn to love one another. They had to learn to pray for one another. They went to one another in religious worship. They went to the temple. They went to the synagogue. And they met there and they talked. They gathered together in joint fellowship with God and with each other. And that's what we're doing today. We're in Koinonia today. I want to ask you a question this morning. When you got up this morning, were you excited to come here? Were you excited to come and praise God? Were you excited to hear the Word of God is spoken? Were you heard the word of God chanted? Do the liturgy? Were you excited? Were you going to stand before him and have everything else in the world be, a, be apart from you? Were you excited this morning? Because we have that koinonia, that fellowship. We are to love one another because he loved us first. We can put up with the foibles. We can put up with the, with the different type of personalities, but we are to love one another. Love covers a multitude of sins. And believe me, if we look in the mirror, we all have that, Right? but it's by the grace of God that we're here today. It's by the grace of God that we live. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within Him, bless His holy name. We are to honor Him. You know, the more I read the Scripture, and I have a degree in Bible, the more I read the Scripture, the more I see it's about Him and not me. 
It's about him. It's not about you. It's not about this congregation. It's not about Messianic Judaism or Gentile Christianity. It's about him. It's about God to be glorified, him and him alone. They had a mutual affection for one another. They had a great deal of like-minded conversation with each other. They were together lots. They were in the temple daily, not just on the appointed days and in the, in the, in the God's appointed times, but the Sabbath, but they were there every day. Worshiping God is something to be done on a daily basis, but it is to be done publicly with like-minded people, but also privately. They were one accord, not discord nor strife. I'm sure they had their differences. However, they made they had a holy love for God and for one another. They were visible to the greater community, and they joined in public services. Yeshua said, didn't he say, the world would know them by their what? By their love. So they got together. They taught. They had koinonia, and I think some of all of this kind of overlaps one another, and they broke bread. And what is breaking bread? Simple. It's closely associated with fellowship of the koinonia, the act of sharing was part of the disciples sharing of possessions. There were some who didn't have enough food to eat, so some who had enough money to give for the food, they gave the food and they got together, they broke bread together that way. They remembered Yeshua by Messiah's table, of course, because he, he commanded it as a memorial. They met for, uh, for a main meal provided by those who gave freely to the tzedakah. You know, the typical Jewish meal back then would start with the breaking and blessing, the blessing of the wine and breaking of the bread, yes? We do that here, right? We do that for own egg. The breaking of bread could refer literally to taking bread together. It was a meal. In a Jewish context, one food was only necessary to offer a guest. The idea here I, believe, here, I believe, is that they gathered together to break bread and to fellowship. And then the fourth thing is prayers. They simply prayed. Both those prayers they knew from liturgy and, of course, spontaneously. They prayed publicly. Because as they met for fellowship, they prayed publicly, and of course, they prayed privately. Someone has said this, for prayer will never be superseded till it comes to be swallowed up in everlasting praise. You get it? When Yeshua comes back and we're in Him, we're going to be praising Him. We're not going to be praying. What does prayer do anyway? We're talking to God. You know, what would happen? I've been married to Rebecca for 38 years. I always say she deserves a medal, you know, but... What would happen if I came home every day, got up every morning and didn't talk to her? She'd be talking to me. <laughs> She'd be saying, what's wrong, Russ? That's what prayer is. Prayer is talking to God. There's a guy in this congregation, I'm not going to mention his name because it would embarrass him, but I love to hear this guy pray. I ask him to pray as often as I can when, he's in, when I do Torah study. And when he prays, you feel like you're in the presence of God. You know why? Because he prays Scripture back. He's a man of the book. He's a man of the book, and some of you know who I'm talking about, and I know he knows, and he'll probably tell me later, Russ, why did you do that? My point is that prayer is talking to God. We have that relationship with God. Yes, we do. Why not talk to him? Even if you're in the car going to work, talk to him. Who cares what people think? They maybe think you're singing. Who knows? Maybe they think you're talking to yourself, and you're nuts, and they'll, they'll avoid you. But what's more important is to pray. And everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be known to God, and what the peace of God would pass all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds in who? In Messiah Yeshua. I always say I like to go back to the basics. You know, teaching, keep it simple. Sally and Sam, teaching, koinonia, fellowship, breaking the bread together and praying together. Someone has also said this about prayer and about the Lord's Supper. This is interesting. The Lord's Supper is a sermon to the eye and a confirmation of God's word to us. 
And it is an encouragement to our prayers and the solemn expression of the ascent of our souls to God. In a nutshell, what are we to be doing? We are to be teaching this Bible. We are to be teaching this book, this Word of God. Deuteronomy 6, we say it every Shabbat, don't we? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. These words which I commanding, I am commanding you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. How are we to do it? In all of our life, all of who we are as we walk, as we walk. You all know I was in the Persian Gulf and I was in the war and I would go down to the souk and sometimes some of the people that were there, the, the Arab people, the Bahraini people, they would come by and I could smell the perfume. And sometimes it was too strong, but you could smell the perfume. You could smell it when they were coming and smell it when they were leaving. An aroma. How about us? Are we a sweet-smelling aroma? Are we that aroma so people can see and say, what's different about you? Or if someone has an issue, you can pray? Why is it so important that we love God with all the heart, mind, soul, and strength? Why is it so important? Because when we love God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our might, we want to please Him. We want to please Him and Him alone. I know why we every week we do this. I know why every week at least for me, I don't know about you, but for me, I forget. Not because I'm getting older, maybe that's part of it. But people are forgetters. I remember when we used to read our stories to our children and there was a, a character by the name of Forgetful Jones. He forgot everything. We need to be constantly reminded to stay on track. We need to have that goal of staying on track. How do we teach our children? We teach our children by repetition. That's how we teach them. How do you think Micah Rubenstein did so well on his uh, bar mitzvah? Because Marcy was with him every week. <laughs> because he practiced. It was repetition. It was repetition. We are to do it when we sit down with people. We are to do it when we walk by the way. We are to do it when we lie down. We are to do it when we rise up. When is this? Obviously, it's always. We often, I used to say this to my children. Need I remind you? Did I not tell you? What did we talk about? Right? So God says to us, Need I remind you from His Word? Need, did I not tell you in, in my Word? What did we talk about? So how does this all apply to me and to you? I'm going to tell you, you need to be fat. Every single one of you here needs to be fat. Not physically. You know what I'm getting at, right? Faithful, available, and teachable. Even in our older age. Even in my old, my young age of 63 years young, faithful, available, and teachable. Second, we need to invest our lives in the future generation. Ador of Ador. When you see our children here, speak to them. Encourage them. Oh, yes, they're going to run. And there was a little girl that ran today, and I stopped her from running. I said, we don't run in the sand. You heard what I said to them before they went in. Just a little, you know, just, you can do that. Or ask them what they learned in, in, in Hebrew school. Or ask them what they learned in in their, uh, when they went to uh, junior congregation. Third, we need to be workmen who rightly divide the word of truth. 
as it tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to read that real quickly here. It says, you know, Paul is telling Timothy, remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words which is useless and leads only to ruin. Here we go. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling, handling accurately the word of truth. Handling accurately the word of truth. Fourth, I believe that we need to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and teaching and, and fellowship and koinonia and breaking of bread and in prayers. Keep it simple. Go back to the basics. We need to keep in mind the future. Who will continue to proclaim the Besora, the good news? How well have we taught those who will come after us? How will we be remembered? I'm so glad that God did not let me get my own way and not disciple my friend and my brother, Bill. No credit to me. Oh, I know God could have used someone else to disciple Bill, yes. But look at the fruit. Chuck Lloyd, Jim Roche, Russ Baudet, Bill Teton, and who knows how many more. Wow, think of it. Can you say with me, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Vador, vador generation to generation. I'm eager to see what God will do with me. I don't know how many more years I have left, but certainly I don't want to be outprayed by anybody. I don't want to be outtaught by anybody. I don't want to be outfellowshipped. And certainly not out breaking of bread together. May we do that. May we have that as part of our, our lives. Find someone in the congregation you might not know. Invite them out for a little cup of coffee. It's amazing what you can do. It's amazing what you can do. And God is God, right? He is in control. Thank you for letting me share my heart with you this morning. I've been waiting for this for a long time, a year. And I want to thank you for praying for me. I know you've prayed, you prayed for me. And poor Rebecca, she didn't know what was going on. I didn't either. But God brought us through. He has continued to brought us through. And, you know, uh, just be available, faithful, available, and teachable to Him. Be fat. Try it this week. Don't forget to choose one of the children here and pray for that child that God would get a hold of them. Let's pray. Father, I thank You that uh, You have given to us Your Word. And I've said it before, and I've talked to You about it before. You have not left us as orphans. We are reminded of the things that we need to be diligent to present ourselves approved to You, God, as a workman, not need to be ashamed. May we not be ashamed. May we handle the Word accurately because it's Your Word. It's truth, all truth. And I thank You for that. Oh God, may You be with us. And may we say together, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. I thank You, Lord, for the privilege of serving You. Thank You for the privilege of being here today and the honor You've given me to share in Your timing. In Your timing, Lord. Amen. We're going to walk. Walk. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it, brother. Appreciate it, brother. Okay. Let's go for Onegan and the, the social hall.